This is Dr. Shannon M. Clark with A Doctor Delivers Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Lori Johnson, who is a licensed marriage and family therapist, and we are going to discuss how to navigate the trauma and grief of infertility. Have a listen. Babies after 35, and I'm introducing here Dr. Lori Johnson. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist with more than 25 years of experience as a clinician, educator, and clinical supervisor. She also does online, she's an online psychotherapist and therapeutic coach, coach and you're based in Los Angeles, right? Yes, I am. But so I always ask, if you're based in Los Angeles, does that mean you can only see patients that are in Los and California, or can you do other states as well? That's a great question. Um, right now, I'm only licensed to do psychotherapy in um, California, but okay. I do, I do um, kind of provide therapeutic coaching, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a little bit um, yes, yes. for people um, outside of the, the state. California. Mm-hmm. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. And then you also specialize in women's mental health, reproductive health, and you also do couples therapy um, for those that have been through infertility trauma, and we'll talk more about that. Yes. So I'm very excited to have you on. Um, you know, I've, uh, anybody that knows my platform knows that I've been talking a lot about birth trauma and uh, PMADs or perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. Another thing is infertility trauma, which is not often discussed. Why am I interested in it? Because I've been through it. I've done it. I've been through it. I know what it's like. Mm-hmm. And most of you know my personal story. I'll just be brief, but then I want to hear Dr. Johnson's story. But for me, well, sorry, that was my dog. She was in my lap. Uh, for me... <laughs> Uh, after two and a half, two year, almost two years of infertility treatments, then uh, pre, you know, two months of hospital bed rest, uh, premature babies, twins in the NICU for six weeks, I didn't realize until they were probably two and a half, three years old that I had some trauma. I was very good at pushing it away. I was an active physician. During the years I was going through infertility and bed rest and all that, I was promoted to professor. So I got all that done. So it was probably a way of probably pushing those feelings mm-hmm. aside. So now that all that's done, now I'm like, okay, something's going on here. So I realized that I, I do have some unresolved issues regarding that, that experience I went through. So tell me about yours. I, I, yeah. I stalked you a little bit on your website, and I understand that you have your own story. So talk yes. about it. Yes. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, you know, like you said, I, I'm, a, I'm a psychotherapist. I've been doing work in the community peripherally for about um, the infertility community, and specifically mm-hmm. for almost 10 years. Um, but it wasn't until I started going through my own fertility mm-hmm. issues that, of course, you know, my perspective shifted. I was one of those, like you, I got married later in life, couldn't, you know, can't control when you yeah. meet your partner, yeah. mm-hmm. um, naively thought that I, I would have issues conceiving. Um, and so unfortunately, what happened about six months after we got married, um, I got pregnant, mm-hmm. had a missed miscarriage, mm-hmm. went through that process actually of miscarrying naturally. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and ha- didn't really realize, you know, just the, ex- the, the weight of that experience, because yeah. it wasn't just like a, a missed period, or excuse me, yeah. a period and just yeah. going through the process of, of yeah. that. And then um, decided to kind of weigh a little bit. I had fibroid issues, had those taken out and then got pregnant again. And that's where we um, discovered there was something wrong with our son in the second trimester. Mm. So I went mm. through a very traumatic loss, um, then went through, didn't really have time to grieve that loss yeah. because of my age, went straight to IVF, mm-hmm. did that for a year and a half. Um, yeah. And that yielded a chemical pregnancy. And then mm-hmm. I had a miracle pregnancy after two months after that. And so okay. my body, that was all within the span mm-hmm. of about three years. Yeah. And so I'm sitting there going through all of this, like, 
you know, I'm on this, you know, this, this, this train this fertility journey to, mm-hmm. to, you know, this path to parenthood. Um, I'm also a therapist. So I felt like I should have recognized the signs of, yes. of trauma. And it wasn't until I was kind of through it a little bit that I, re- that mm-hmm. I realized, and my own therapist was just like, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. of course, because mm-hmm. um, you just, you, you can't really deal with it. It's hard to deal with it when you're in it. And yes. you're just, you're just concentrating on getting to the mm-hmm. next goal. So mm-hmm. that was, um, that was a little bit of uh a little bit of my history. My husband and I decided to take a break from treatments for a couple of years and um, actually just resumed not too long ago. So okay. we're kind of yeah. back in it. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, listen, I, I, your story, story sounds very similar to mine and probably sounds very similar to a lot of people who are listening. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, we don't understand, even when we're going through it, it just the physical act of going through the infertility treatments, the physical act of loss, right? all the physical stuff we get, but we don't think about the psychological and emotional impact. And even as we progress along, and even you had a, a miracle baby when you weren't expecting it, and that doesn't cure everything. Mm-mm. I think one of the common misconceptions or thoughts is, is that, well, you got a baby, you should be okay. And we even do that to ourselves. Well, I have my twins. Why am I having an issue? Right. And I think it's hard. Go ahead. I actually probably misspoke. I had a miracle pregnancy that also yep. ended in a, oh. another loss. So oh, okay. no, yeah. no, no, mir- yeah. no miracle baby. Okay, yet, okay, but, okay. I, but, I, but I think what you're saying yeah. is true. Yeah, when yeah. You do, even when you do have your child after the fact, it doesn't take, take, take away from the, okay. the experience. Of, yeah, of, yes. Right. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so let's talk about the infertility trauma specifically. Mm -hmm. So one of the stats that I got was that according to the CDC, or Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, in the U.S., 6.7 million women between the ages of 15 and 55 experience problems getting pregnant or carrying a pregnancy to term. So that's more than 10% Mm -hmm. of women in that age group. And so the chances are, and we all know this, that Mm -hmm. you or someone you know has been through it. Mm -hmm. Um, And we are very familiar about all the biological causes, you know, that can cause infertility, PCOS. Uh, fibroids, you know, all the biological causes. Mm-hmm. But what we don't talk so much about is the psychological and emotional component of infertility. Right. right. So talk about some of the those components that might indicate or let someone know that they're having infertility trauma. That's a great point because I feel like the mental health field is actually evolving and we're finally mm-hmm. labeling infertility trauma for what it is. We do know that the longer that people are in treatments, um, that the higher level of anxiety and depression that they will experience. Um, now, some signs of trauma would, might look like, um, you know, just this sense of heightened anxiety around mm. appointments, fertility, the success, the obsessive thoughts that people might have about mm. where they are in their fertility process. It could mean also this avoidance of, you know, sorry, now my dog is happy. It's okay. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> it's okay. Sorry. Um, and uh, so some other, some other signs that we, Amori, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay, <laughs> it's okay sweetie pie. Did you want to say hello to everybody? Hi. Sorry. My, oh. <laughs> my husband just came home and so yeah. she has to make herself known. So I yes, yes, that, that, that's okay. Hey, we're good with dogs. <laughs> yeah. So what we also see is a sense of irritability, um, mm. trouble sleeping, um, mm-hmm. There might be intense feelings of sadness, guilt, shame um, Mm -hmm. is another one. Difficulty concentrating. Mm -hmm. um, Also, just variations in energy. So you might be feeling really drained and exhausted. Um, Mm -hmm. Also, another sign that people might look for is just feeling kind of numbed out, you know. Mm -hmm. So they just might not 
you know, have their feelings might not be registering, um, yeah. you know, they might not be feeling really happy or sad or just, yeah. just kind of neutral. And, yeah. and, and so that coupled with, you know, some avoidant behaviors that we might notice in terms of how people deal with their, their triggers mm -hmm. um, is, is basically how we start to think about tra trauma. Um, mm -hmm. And then when you think about how perceived their experience or emotional experience might have been of certain procedures, doctor's appointments, mm -hmm. and all of that, um, that's where the individual perspective, I think, really comes into account in terms of how we diagnose it, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, and I know exactly what you're talking about. I mean, I think we kind of probably all expect it, or we might say, oh, it's just because of the hormones, or right. it's just because of this, and we right. write it off. Right. And I have to be honest, and, and unless you have someone that's kind of on the outside looking in, it's going right. to be hard for anyone to under, to make that distinction. Exactly. This is typical or this is beyond typical. And I'm starting to cross over into where I'm starting to have some emotional and, phys and uh, uh, psychological s consequences of my right. infertility journey. So one thing, and I'm just going to say it mm -hmm. earlier on, mm -hmm. one of the things I think, and this and looking back on what I went through, I really think that having a therapist at the beginning of an infertility journey especially when you're going through treatments and that should be kind of mandatory yeah. <laughs> because you, then you have that person that's kind of walking you through it and they, they can pick up on things. I wish I had, when people ask me, what's the one thing I would should, I wish I'd done. I wish I'd done that. Right. I wish I had from the get go had someone that I was talking to throughout my journey um, to help me through that because I think it would have changed a lot of things and how I was able to and give me better coping skills on how to navigate through those years. What Absolutely. do you think? I, I, I completely agree. And I think just even being in the field, I have a different, you know, an interesting perspective as well, because, yeah. you know, the expectation is that we are in therapy and, and mm -hmm. I was in therapy off and on. And, um, and even I had trouble yeah. finding somebody um, to really hold space for me around yeah. that. Um, and it wasn't until probably a few years into my journey um, that I found a support group that was actually led by another mm -hmm. therapist that was, that was really helpful. And not that mm -hmm. my, that my individual therapist wasn't a good therapist at that point, but she just didn't have the, the knowledge around the fertility information. Gotcha. And mm -hmm. so what happens sometimes is people don't want to have to explain what it's like yeah. to go through a, you know, all the hormonal yeah. shifts and, and things like mm -hmm. that. So, so what we're going to do. So, right. So you could find a therapist that specializes in reproductive health or infertility mm -hmm. trauma or something, mm -hmm. but say you can, and you mm -hmm. said you found a support group. What yeah. other kinds of, you know, support, are there support groups? What other things can people look for in order to find support? Cause it doesn't have to be one-on-one -on -one therapy. There's other no. ways to get support. So what, what would you recommend looking for? No. So I think there's some, there's a wonderful network on social media that mm -hmm. has, I, I think really exploded. Um, and, mm -hmm. you know, we talk about the, the downsides of social media, but I think the beauty yeah. of, you know, Instagram and Facebook yeah. communities is that it's really joined people together mm -hmm. um, and across, you know, just time zones and states and things like that to, so people can connect to other people and have a sense of community because that's really what's important too, is having a sense of community of people who get what you're going through, who aren't judging. Um, and, and so I think there are lots of different kind of programs that are offered by yeah. various coaches and counselors in the field that provide, I think, very different needs. Um, some people, yeah. some of you might need a little bit more support around nutrition. Some people might need more support around um, their their emotional well being. Um, I've seen some great um, yoga programs for yeah. people. You know, so I think it's it, there's it's not one size fits all. I think it's really mm -hmm. what's yeah. speaking to you in that moment yeah, yeah. and asking and answering what you need.
And, and it's okay to try different things. You, it is. If you've never been through it, you're not going to know what works for you. Exactly. And you, you may need to try different various modes of support or therapy to see which one works for you. And, th and that's fine too. And, and while, you know, I, I also want to add in too that it's not just the person going through the physical uh, infertility journey. It's the partner. Right. It's uh, the support person, whoever's going through it with you uh, that may need uh, some support as well. Exactly. So talk about that. How yeah. uh, do you think it's important that they do their, if it's a couple therapy together individually, or what recommendations do you have regarding a partner? I, you know, I think it can be a variation of both. Um, what I end up seeing is normally it's the, the gals that are reaching out. Sometimes the, their, their male partners are a little bit more reluctant to seek help. Um, and that's not uncommon. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it can be frustrating. Um, but when you start out on this journey, you think, okay, when you're going through treatments, only your fertility is going to be impacted. You don't think yeah. about the other yeah. ways, you know, your yeah. relationship with yes. friends, your partner, and things like that. And so I, I love it when I get calls from couples saying, you know what, we're about to start treatment or we're already in treatment, we just need to make sure that we have a place to land and connect. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, because it's really important to make sure that you have that community support for your relationship, just like we get yeah. it um, individually for our journeys. Our partners need that too. And, and also learning that our partners cope differently than we do. Yes. <laughs> you know, yeah. And, yeah. and um, whether it's how you're navigating treatments or whether you're navigating a really complicated grief um, journey like my husband and I did. Um, yes, yes. You know, and realizing that just because your partner may not express themselves the same way that you do doesn't yes. mean that they care any less or that they mm. want, they don't want the same outcome in the same way that you do. Well, I think we underestimate the, the emotional and psychological impact it has on our partners. Mm -hmm. That needs to be addressed. Yes. And, and we need to realize that they go through it too. They might not be going through the physical part or maybe not to the degree that we did. Right. But they still go through it. But also they could learn ways to better support us. Right. You know, Absolutely. and getting those, I mean, I don't know, my husband didn't know what to, I mean, he didn't know what to do. He'd never been through that. And I yeah. can only tell, he's like, what do you need? I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't know. And, exactly. you know, <laughs> I'm like, I wish I could tell you what I need. I really don't know. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's, there's so many levels where you can get supported to make it, to make the journey, um, what's the right, it's not going to make it easier because infertility journey is right. not easy, but right. finding better ways to cope and manage to where your job, your relationship, your friendships are not as impacted. That's kind of how I right. see it. It's better like, yes. more like getting coping mechanisms to help you be able to go to that next step and that next step, right? While preserving right. what's around you. Preserving what's around you. And that's yeah. where having boundaries are, yeah. are so important. You need space where you're not always talking about fertility related or grief related yes. stuff. And mm -hmm. otherwise it just can feel like it takes over. And yeah. when so much of that heaviness and negativity just seeps into every aspect of your relationship mm -hmm. um, or relationships with friends, um, then it becomes overwhelming and that's when people get more isolated and upset too. So yeah. having those boundaries is important. So, you know, we've talked a lot about, you know, the different types of therapy and some of the mm -hmm. signs and, you know, when we hear, um, and I'll just use birth trauma as an mm -hmm. example. I did mm -hmm. a, a discussion about birth trauma and people automatically thought I meant you had a birth, you were injured or, and or baby was injured Tra trauma, meaning physical. Oh. And that's not what I meant. I mm -hmm. meant birth trauma, meaning you might've had, um, uh, birth trauma related to your birth experience to where things didn't turn out the way, or you had a, a, a complication for me. Mm -hmm. I had an emergency C-section and blood loss and that was traumatic. And not that anything was physically done to me negatively. Mm -hmm. It's just that it was a traumatic delivery yes. and my babies are fine. 
So, you know, the same thing can be said for infertility. We're not talking about the, just the physical, like there was something traumatic that physically happened to you. We're talking about what happens here and here as well. Yes. So that's important to understand that. So infertility trauma, does that kind of correlate a little bit? Because birth tra- for birth trauma, it does with mm-hmm. PTSD. Yes. It's the, it's the lived experience. I mean, so that's why yeah. we have certain, you know, we, we might have certain signs that we look for that indicate, okay, these, these are like trauma reactions, but we're also mm. listening to the quality of the experience of the mm. person. And that's where it's so individualized mm-hmm. because some people can go through infertility stress and there is a difference between stress and trauma. Yeah. Um, and, and it can resolve on its own, but for the people who don't, this is where I'm listening for, okay, how long have you been dealing with this? Mm. What's, what's the intensity around this? What are the ways that, um, you know, and I kind of look at things in terms of scales and, you know, you know, and kind of helping people really characterize on that scale, how intense or bad it feels for for them, because it's that, it's that lived experience. And so if there's an experience of felt trauma there, then that's how I deal with it. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and that's why, you know, we kind of help them process and and develop coping strategies, but, um, you know, kind of work through that in in a healthier way. So what are some of the things you look for you mentioned a few, but like, if you mm-hmm. have someone that's coming to you and there, there is infertility stress. I think when I started out, I had infertility yeah. stress, but then it right. crossed crossed that bridge at some point into probably traumatic and more of a PTSD mm-hmm. experience. Mm-hmm. Um, what can you do? Like, what are you looking for specifically? How do you, um, I don't know if it's so much of a diagnosis, but where, and how does the, the treatment or the therapy shift from treating a stressful situation versus someone that's crossing over into a more traumatic situation. Is that, am I making sense? Yes, you are. Okay. Because I think that's still a nuance that okay. we, we don't talk a lot about. Um, and one that I think the field is still continuing to define. Okay. Um, but for me, the, where I see the difference is really around time and um, is anything resolving, meaning um, are, you know, and what are, what are their triggers? Number one, what is their experience of the triggers and in that level of intensity? Because if it's not necessarily resol- resolving and we might hear that around, um, how people, you know, this level of anxiety that they experience when they're going to doctor's appointments or treatments. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so that's when I might shift into much more of my kind of trauma of kind of techniques. Um, cause I do, um, EMDR, which is a, we're going to talk about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, which is, is really about helping the body, you know, um, utilize whatever or kind of maximize their emotional resources and create some external ones where they might not have them internally. And, and so I see some people that are actually on this, on the verge of kind of panic. So there is this, kind yeah. of hypervigilance yeah. around the anxiety yeah. where, um, you know, that's, that's, that's the spectrum that I'm looking at. Um, you know, like, yeah. are, there, are they constantly registering at a 10, like feeling they're yeah. about to come out of their skin? To me, yeah. that's a heightened stress response on, mm-hmm. over a long period of time to me communicates trauma versus someone who's like, okay, this is uncomfortable and this is stressful. I'm managing. I don't like it, but I'm managing. And they mm-hmm. might just register like a four, a three yeah. or a four okay. on the scale. Have you ever had patients who got on the other side, they Mm -hmm. were able to bring home a child, but they still have infertility trauma. Yes. Yes. Because what does, um, what does that look like? Well, it it looks like, um, it's, it's a very, um, it's so interesting because I've seen it happen for, for so many different people. And I think they know going into the birth that, that they've heard enough stories that it's, you know, they realize that it's not necessarily going to change and they're really excited about welcoming their, their child. And then there's also this moment where, and it hits differently for, for, for different people. And it's hard to kind of 
figure out mm-hmm. why or when, but it's that, re- you know, that remembrance of, oh, this is really hard and it's kind of jarring. And, and so, so the work um, does shift around that too, around holding that space for being able to enjoy their, their babies, but also, okay, let's work on, let's actively yeah. work on um, your, your experience of that and also help your body heal from that as, as much as possible. Yeah. yeah. I think looking back how I know that I, had trauma is mm-hmm. that once I I got pregnant, mm-hmm. I was in on hospital bed rest for complications, but I didn't bond with them. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't mm-hmm. bond with them mm-hmm. until shortly before I delivered because I was afraid to. Yes. And I think that was that overwhelming cloud of the infertility that was still in the back of my mind saying it could still go wrong. It, right. it probably will go wrong. And I just you know, that's probably my, my biggest regret. I feel like had I maybe gone through some treatment during that time that I would have been able to bond with them more in pregnancy. You know what I mean? And I, I, listen, mm-hmm. I, I beat myself up over it. So I, I beat yeah. honest with you. I do. Yeah. And, but yeah. I understand why I do. Right. Um, but I also understand why I felt that way. And I know yeah. it doesn't make me a bad mom. It doesn't mean I yeah. love them any less, but I, looking back, I see that now. Does that make sense? It totally makes sense. Yeah. And, the, and the way that I try to frame that for my clients when they, yeah. you know, because I see that sense of fear and, yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's, a, that's a coping strategy in and of itself that yeah. in some ways I don't like, I don't want to pathologize because I feel like that's your body's way right. of mm-hmm. trying to get through yeah. yep. the unimaginable. Yeah. Um, and, and so if there's a little bit of distance that you had to create for that, yeah. um, you know, that's, that's what you did. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, so intellectually we get it, but mm-hmm. I know that emotionally it's still yeah. hard to kind of reconcile. So yeah, yeah, yeah. But, mm-hmm. I think it was, it was a coping mechanism. But mm-hmm. I think we all, even we, I think the reason why I'm bringing this up is that I, I want people to understand that even if you get on the other side, mm-hmm. you still might have some trauma related to your infertility journey yes. that might still need to be addressed. Yes. And that's okay. And if, if anyone's telling you, you shouldn't be feeling that way because you have your take home baby and you should be over it. That's not right. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. You know, Mm-mm. it's, it's not easily, uh, infertility trauma and, and is not fixed with a take home baby. Not at all. Not at all. It's not. And I know mm-hmm. that now I do mm-hmm. know and I understand it. So that's what I want to say. Uh, you know, if you're still feeling that way and you had a take home baby, it happens and you can still get treatment for that and get therapy for that and get on the other side of it so that you can find ways to cope with it and reconcile it so that you can move on. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and don't judge yourself because it might, yeah. you know, you might not notice it right away either yeah. because I do see women, you know, probably two years postpartum who are just kind yeah. of like, Oh my gosh, now I'm, 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 yeah. you know, it's, it, it just hit me. Yep. Um, and, and you can have the best of intentions of trying to be, um, and trying to tend to your mental health and still, you know, not, be able to kind of grasp needing to do the work. So, yeah, yeah. you know, being yeah. gentle with yourself around that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. Mm-hmm. Okay. So talk about, so, you know, you deal with, uh, you treat infertility trauma and mm-hmm. grief. Mm-hmm. That's your thing. And I yeah. understand why, mm-hmm. what are, I want to, I don't want to talk specifically about AMD, AMDR yet. I want to okay. say that for that, but what are okay. some of the services you provide and, you know, or that people can get from someone like yourself who, who, who does infertility trauma work? Yeah. Well, like what so, can you do? So, so sometimes what I do, I mean, there, there are a couple of services that I, that I provide, mm-hmm. um, obviously, you know, just straight kind of individual talk therapy outside mm-hmm. of the EMDR kind of approach, um, for my infertility clients in particular, who are going through, um, specific treatments. Um, there are, there's a, I do what I call therapeutic coaching, which is mm-hmm. really designed to make sure that they have specific coping strategies that are designed for each stage of the journey. Because obviously when you're going through, 
the prep and the stem, you know, you have very different needs. Yeah. Your body has very different needs emotionally um, than when you're going through, um, you know, kind of the, the, when you get to retrieval and then when mm. you, you know, kind of prepare for transfer. So, so in some ways it's really about kind of designing or thinking about, okay, what, what specifically are the needs there and, and filling in the gaps and addressing them in a personalized way, because there's mm. no size fits all for, for mm. people mm. Um, in, in terms of, you know, how their body's going to respond to, to the techniques and, and what they find helpful. Mm. Um, so that is one, one service that I offer. And then obviously like the psychotherapy and mm. then the, the EMDR work. Um, mm. And also I, you know, my couples work. So, yeah. So yeah. you're one of the people mm-hmm. that, someone who's starting their infertility journey or infertility treatments can go to mm-hmm. for the therapeutic, co- th- therapeutic coaching throughout. Yes. Right. So yes. how, if someone's in, you're in California, if someone's in another state, what, how can they find someone like you? What is it that they Google? What do they look for to find someone that does what you do? So I'm a little bit different because I am a therapist who does okay. fertility coaching. Um, okay. But sometimes people will find me because they're Googling fertility coaching. Gotcha. Um, and, and I think that's probably the most common term that people look for. Fertility um, coaching or infertility coaching? Oh, excuse me. Infertility coaching. Infer- okay. Yes. Infer- okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. So that's how they would kind of find me because I do okay. that. Um, but I think what makes me a little bit different is because of my training as a therapist. Yes. And, yeah. and, um, and, and I do let people know if I kind of think they're appropriate for coaching versus mm-hmm. um, whether or not they might need to, um, you know, kind of, we, you know, slide on over for some psychotherapeic work, yeah, psych- yeah. psychotherapeutic work and, you know, and then connect them with somebody in their area. Okay. So talk about that. Yeah. If you have someone that comes, what's the difference? What would make someone not necessarily be a, a good candidate for therapeutic coaching? And they might need to go into psychotherapy and then talk about what psychotherapy entails. Right. So psychotherapy, I, I think really gets into a little, goes a little bit deeper into some of the stress response reactions mm-hmm. um, that they're having um, it, because there, there's a way that coaching can be therapeutic, but not necessarily be therapy. Mm-hmm. And, and so sometimes what I see in terms of a good candidate for therapeutic coaching is, you know, someone who has a clear plan, um, they have a good relationship with their medical doctor, um, they are, um, we don't see any kind of severe um, symptoms of anxiety and depression. Mm. Um, those are some things that I also look for because if there are heightened levels of anxiety or heightened levels of depression, again, mm. looking for intensity and time, yeah. um, mm-hmm. then I, I might say, you know what, this might not, this isn't appropriate for you. Therapy makes more sense just mm-hmm. because when, you know, my, my techniques kind of shift, like I said, in terms of how we look at resourcing and how we monitor it as well. Um, you know, what those, how those interventions are, are, are working for, for the individual. So um, I do find that the majority of people that are kind of coming to me though, for coaching, it's, it, it, it makes sense for them. Um, they've kind of gone through maybe a round or two, but know that they need a little bit more support and, and, and they respond quite well to, to, to that. Um, okay. Yeah. So it's, it's, again, I keep going back to, it's really intensity and time. So how intense are the feelings and how long have they been dealing with it? Because that tells me, all right, you know, this is a good candidate for, for coaching versus not. And it's hard to say whether or not, um, you know, if someone's been doing this for six months or a year or two years, whether or not they, they meet, you know, they fall into one category or the other, because again, that individual experience also makes a difference in terms of how, you know, of how I kind of, diagnose or how we kind of gotcha. you know, yeah gotcha and yeah. then what are some of the techniques or some of the things you do with psychotherapy that are that's a little bit different 
So the, the techniques that I do um, in, in EMD, and, and I have to, I talk so much about EMDR because okay, that's we'll just what I do. Is this, yeah. a, is this a good time to do it? It's a good time to good. do go, it. Go because for it. Yeah. I do, yeah. um, we talk a lot about resource development in terms okay. of preparing people for okay. trauma. And EMDR stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Okay. And it's um, it's been, I think, kind of on the in the field for probably the past 30 years. And okay. we learned a lot by um, working with like people who've gone off to war. And, mm. you know, so we've really kind of had a sense of looking at this model for people who've experienced trauma in the kind of most familiar sense. Gotcha. And, and so what we start to look at is developing resources. And so emotional resources are coping strategies kind of on steroids, <laughs> so mm. to speak. So it goes a little bit beyond breath work, which I think is important, don't get me wrong. Um, being mindful of how your body um, experiences stress. Um, one of the things that I think is important, we, we pay attention to how the body is experiencing it. And we also mm. believe that the brain and the body has, a, has its own way of kind of healing. So we're kind of mm -hmm. working with that as well. So when mm -hmm. I think about resources, it might be kind of figures, um, helping them think about um, people or, or supportive figures in ways that, that, um, that, that are meaningful to people. But then we also use what's called bilateral stimulation, which is mm -hmm. kind of tapping or using eye movements to, to help deepen that. And there's this idea that we can help the body reprocess um, difficult feelings, difficult thoughts, and kind of promote its own healing through um, this bilateral stimulation that we, mm -hmm. that we kind of create. So mm -hmm. So that's what I start to kind of veer into a little bit with the, the therapeutic kind of model, which I don't necessarily do with my, with my coaching clients. That, mm -hmm. that is different. Mm -hmm. <coughs> Excuse me. That's good. Yeah. Okay. And so who would be a good candidate for EMDR? I, I think any, I mean, the, the majority of people are great candidates for, for, okay. for EMDR. Um, I think it's really sometimes a little bit more efficient than, than traditional psychotherapy okay. um, because it doesn't necessarily involve people needing to even tell their entire traumatic story. Mm -hmm. um, we're looking at what are their experiences, just their overall memories and having them work with that. Um, and then when we start to kind of bring in some of the stimulation, um, it just allows, you know, we just kind of say, let your mind go with that. Um, mm -hmm. And, and, and kind of model, um, excuse me, monitor to, you know, how that, how that kind of goes. I know I'm not necessarily, might not be explaining it the, the best yeah. way, but it's a little yeah. different. It's a little different, yeah, yeah. But I think it's really exciting. And so does, can, does this need to be done in person or can you do it uh, virtually? You, I've been doing it virtually oh. um, since the pandemic. It was actually okay. something we were a little concerned about, but, um, you know, doing it, uh, but the data actually shows that it's just mm. as effective um, okay. as doing it, you know, virtually than it is, you know, just in the office. And do you think there's any particular reason why those that have been through infertility trauma, in your experience, respond well to EMDR? Is there something about uh, that type of trauma that's, that makes them more responsive? That's a great question. Um, you know, because I think there are just multiple kind of trauma modalities out there. Um, mm. What I think that is so important and why EMDR speaks to people is because it talks about the, the lived experience. It's, mm. it's kind of like that mind body connection, but also from a neuro, neuro kind of science, you know, mm. perspective mm. where mm. we are, we recognize that connection. Um, and we know the ways in which that kind of starts to come out kind of physically. And so we, we kind of like pay attention to that. We kind of help people process and build skills around it so they can tolerate the distress um with without mm. um you know without any adverse effects hmm. so that's interesting yeah 
hmm, I might need a little bit of that. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I'm serious. It, it just sounds very interesting. I, I actually heard about EMDR from a television show. I, don't, I forget what it was called mm-hmm. uh, way, uh, way back when. And that was the first time I'd ever heard about it. And mm-hmm. uh, until now, I haven't really uh, um, learned that that much about it. But we'll, we'll look and, that. A, a little, yeah. and a little history about it, too, because yeah. I, was actually, I was actually really skeptical about it. Okay. Um, I've been in the field for a long, long time. Um, I remember when uh, Dr. Francine Shapiro um, was, was probably, I think it was probably about 10 years into developing this, this model. And so even at the time, like 20 something years ago, mm-hmm. um, we were all a little bit skeptical about it. Um, okay. And I was new in my career. And then of course, you know, I think just, you know, you have a new model that, that comes on onto the, the, yeah. the, the stage and you're just like, wait, what is this? Mm-hmm. Um, and then it wasn't until years later where after I went through my own experience and I kept hearing about it and then I finally decided to, you know, kind of try it. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, you know, so I've actually, you know, done it and then decided to get trained in it because Mm. it was so life changing in terms of just, you know, ways in which it shifted things that talk therapy didn't really get to. And that's the thing too, because sometimes there are ways in which memories and feelings and experiences are just locked in our bodies Mm -hmm. that we can't fully put words to. And so sometimes even with EMDR, if people are coming to me with, with feeling or excuse me, just ideas or just, you know, I'm just stuck and I don't know, they don't necessarily have all of the words. EMDR can still be really effective because Mm. we're like okay just let's go with the sensations let's just talk Mm. about sensations so you don't even have to have all of the language to even fully process it which i think is interesting interesting that is interesting Mm -hmm. huh that is right we might have to do a whole other session on uh, a discussion on emdnr because i I, now you've you've intrigued me with this so pretty (laughs) cool okay so i wanted to uh, before i answer questions i do have one other question for you um Mm -hmm. then we'll go through the questions that came through okay like i said before i i do think getting therapy and or coaching uh, throughout this process, uh, infertility, whether you're going through treatments or not, you might just be going through infertility and you haven't started treatments or you're going through the treatments and you're in the middle of it. Um, It's very important. But what I also think is extremely important is that you understand the credentials of who you're going to. Yes. Because, and like you said, I agree that social media is great for support groups and you can find some really good support groups. And a support group is different than someone that you're seeking for individual therapy or, right. or uh, counseling, right? Right. And, and as I'm saying this, if I say something wrong, just interrupt me and tell me. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, there's support groups, which I think you can get on, on social media and are great. And you can get, go into that support group. And you might find it's for you. It's not for you because you'll kind of learn the pace and what, and what the support group is like once you get in. And it might take you a few support groups to find the one that's for you versus seeking someone like Dr. Lori Johnson, who does therapy and is licensed. And then versus a, a coach, how, how do you bet, tell people, how do they vet who they're going to? What can they look for? How do they find out what someone's credentials are? And the reason why I'm saying this mm-hmm. is there, and I, it's unfortunate, but there is a huge thing on social media right now with people who are offering services for anything and they have no credentials. Right. And they're very good about the da, 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 and they right. can read that and regurgitate it. But if they have not been through the training, they should not be counseling anybody. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and, and it happens. You, you know what I'm talking yes, about? It happens. I do. So yeah. help tell yeah. everybody, how do you vet? 
Yes. That's yes. a great question. So I think most importantly, I think you should ask um, mm -hmm. because the majority of people that are doing fertility or infertility coaching um, are people who've just been through it themselves. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, again, it, there's nothing wrong with that. To, you, you might need that touchstone to tell, you know, somebody to help you understand um, what to expect. Um, but when it comes to kind of dealing with the emotional fallout of, mm -hmm. of what the experience means, handling anxiety, and depression, um, this is where I start to see people operating in gray areas that make yeah. me uncomfortable. Yes. So I think, you know, when you start to notice that someone's giving you more emotional advice that feels therapeutic, I mean, being very clear or asking them, what are their, what are their qualifications around that? Mm -hmm. What is their training? Mm -hmm. um, because I have clients asking me that all the time and I'm yeah. like, and, and I can definitely give you, mm -hmm. you know, you, you can even look up my license number. Yeah. I mean, I can mm -hmm. tell you, all the, you know, the, just the extent of, of, of my training. And the other piece that I'm glad you're bringing this up about because when I talked about support groups earlier, and this was something that was actually very, you know, I, I, I just happened to luck out in having a group that, uh, finding a group on Resolve that was, um, and I'm sure you all know Resolve, the yeah, National yeah. Fertility mm -hmm. Organization, um, who happened to be led by a therapist, which was helpful because the other thing that I'm seeing that I experienced and also I've heard people describe is that when they're in these, you know, these support groups, what starts to happen is these groups are, um, they start to become really overwhelming. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, when, and what that communicates to me is there's not, maybe not as much therapeutic control yeah. over how the information is being unfolded, um, how is it being tended to, and, you know, and if somebody stuff is taking up more of the group, um, mm -hmm. then that's, it's not necessarily leaving space for other people. Yes. There's actually a very specific skill set around running groups and group dynamics. And that's something, that's not my ministry. I, you know, so yeah, there's, yeah. there's so many therapists out there that do a great job of that. But, you know, just even when you are walking into a support group, being mindful of, is it peer led, meaning um, it's yes. just somebody, yes. Versus, so let's talk about that. Yeah, there's yeah. peer led, and then mm -hmm. there's someone who is actually a licensed therapist that can lead a support group. And I'll, right. for peer led, what I most think about is some of these Facebook's mom groups or support groups, right? That are not right. led by they have admins and not. Uh, you see, and I'm not saying that in a negative way, but right. they're not. They're uh, peer led, meaning they may have been through it themselves. But it's a Facebook group or support group that people can go to versus someone that has credentials. And they are a therapist and they do lead that support group, right? There's a difference. Exactly. There's okay. a difference. There's a difference because what you might, what you start to see in, in, in clinician led um, mm. support groups is there are activities and there's structure um, yes. to help. Um, and, and, and there's an attention to group dynamics um, that you don't see in peer led because yes. it, it's just, yeah. it's just not there. Yeah. Um, but they're actually using the material to help people move forward yes. as opposed to, you know, um, we're just kind of talking about it and rehashing things yeah. in a way that just, I think keeps people more um, attached in their vulnerable kind yeah. of space and yeah. they're not able to move forward through it. Well, I'm glad we talked about this because I think mm -hmm. it's so, so important because there's so much out there and, you have to make sure you know what you're getting into, mm -hmm. especially when it comes to your physical and emotional health, because you don't want to get into something that's not helping you. Right. And, and there are differences, you know, uh, and knowing what the credentials are of anybody that you're seeing, you can ask, show me where you went to exactly. school. Exactly. You can ask, what is your license? There is nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. And if anybody exactly. takes offense to it, then maybe you should move along. Exactly. I, right. I mean, there, no one who has credentials should ever take offense to someone asking 
what are your credentials? What's your, what's your license number? Exactly. They shouldn't feel that way. So if mm-hmm. you're getting that response, then you might want to find somebody else. So I do think, especially for something like this, and because of what I see that's out there and people offering advice that don't have any real training, right. it, it, it can be very damaging. And I just want yes. to caution people, especially in this realm, for something, things like infertility and birth trauma, you have to make sure you know what the credentials are. Exactly. Exactly. And I would be very, and I would be very, very concerned if you're seeing somebody who identifies themselves as a trauma specialist who has no mental health training whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Um, Because those are some things too. Like, does does their title really match up with their qualifications? Um, And so that's another. That's been another thing too. And Mm -hmm. there's a lot of it going on. I Mm -hmm. know there's been some uh, psychologists who were doing something more specialized, but they had never had any training in that mm-hmm. but why mm-hmm. were they putting that stuff because it got a lot of attention yeah and that's not right you can't and anybody can go find work and regurgitate it and put it on social media you still have to vet those per, those people you do you have to vet them mm-hmm. you, do. you and, do and and listen to how they talk about their training yes. and their experience yeah. like you said if they're more defensive just be kind of nerve you know that just let that be a red flag and yes. they just kind of let you know hey this is what it is and um, mm-hmm. yeah and this is important now because of covid mm-hmm. and a lot of yes. things are online mm-hmm. so it's not like you can walk into an office and see their diplomas on the wall, you're, you have to do more digging because a lot of people are doing this stuff online. So mm-hmm. you really have to do your due diligence to find out what those qualifications are. Definitely. And that's why I think this is becoming more of a problem because yes. more of this stuff is going on online True. and it gives people a lot more freedom to put, pre- present themselves as something that they're not. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So thank you. I, I mean, I, I didn't mean to actually, this wasn't on my list, but I'm glad we talked about it because yeah. I think it's going to be very helpful. And I, I people really, and I'm going to actually carve this part out because people need to hear this. Mm-hmm. And it's not just for what Dr. Lori and I are talking about. It's for anything, any kind of medical uh, advice or whatever. You're exactly. Getting. Exactly. So it doesn't just apply to this. Okay. Exactly. Let's go through and answer some questions. Let's see. Uh, the way we license okay, something about the way we license. So this is a comment, something about the way licensed mental health professionals are, are getting licensed across the country is contributing to the mental health crisis. What does that, what do you think she means by that? Or they mean by that? I'm, you know, that's an interesting thing. I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure what I'm noticing though, that, um, I, I feel like with what happened with COVID, um, and with everybody going online, um, what we were starting to see is some clinicians were practicing across lines, which mm. was which which actually was okay, which was sanctioned by our national organizations and boards because um, you know some people just needing to leave. And, and what's happened here in California is a lot of people might have left like L.A., San Francisco mm-hmm. to move to go back home to be with family if, if we were going to kind of shelter in place for a while. But what it's what we started to notice is that what did that mean for people's mental health care? And so. Um, so I feel like with the Board of Psychology in particular, APA, that there was a little bit more leniency around that. But what I, you know, but I'm not quite quite sure um, because mm-hmm. it's not a it's not a hard and fast rule. We we don't have reciprocity to practice mm. therapeutically across lines okay. um, without getting permission from the new states board okay. um and each state unfortunately well fortunately or unfortunately kind of decides that and it's yeah. that own process but what yeah. what i have noticed is that um you know the, the, the mental health field is definitely really taxed and i am hearing yes. this, and that people are you know not able to find clinicians yeah. um everyone's pretty busy or yeah. you know just really tired so i'm not yeah, sure that is, that is true that is true. yeah okay yeah, yeah i'm not sure either. let's see what else do we have 
mental health and reproductive health go hand in hand. We're in women's wellness centers should integrate both professionals in the same practice. And and I agree, but Mm -hmm. I like Dr. Lori just said, um, and I see it just uh, for our psychiatry services in general for my pregnant patients. There is a shortage. There's a shortage. Yes. And we need more people going into mental health professions, whether it be psychiatry, psychology, anything. Mm-hmm. Um, we need more. And we've realized, and you can add to this, I have at least realized as a physician the deficit that we had because of COVID. Yes. And we realized just how much we need to put resor- not only resources, time and effort, money being put into this. Yeah. We also need the physical bodies that are trained, right? Yeah, we do. We do. Yeah. And you know, as you can appreciate, have specialized training in this yeah. too, because yes. it's, yeah. it's still very different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Reproductive wellness and mental wellness are not separate from each other. Oh, wait, they are symbiotic in, uh, and say both mom and baby years of trauma down the line. I, I agree. I mean, I mm-hmm. think, uh, what, and this is just for mental health in general, I still, despite our best efforts, Dr. Lori, there's still a stigma there you know, about it, mm-hmm. especially in pregnancy. And I swear if I hear another, someone tell a pregnant woman, you got to stop everything you're on because you're pregnant, I'm going to explode yes. because they don't understand the consequences of that. No, and, not at all. Uh, and those of people that are taking care of reproductive age people who are capable of getting pregnant, that should be kept in mind before you start prescribing medications the, you know, talk about family planning, what are their family planning goals and adjust the medications appropriately. But once someone comes pregnant and sometimes it's a surprise and that's fine. The answer is not, you got to stop everything. No, please don't. Oh my gosh. If you're listening to this, you don't have to stop Mm -mm. everything. What you, what I recommend that you do is you call that new, I, Hey, I'm a new OB. I'm on X, Y, and Z medications for my, my psychiatric, for my depression, anxiety. Do I need to come off of it? Right. If they say, I don't know. Then you say, I need a referral to somebody that does know so I can make a decision in a timely fashion. That doesn't mean eight weeks down the road. That doesn't mean four weeks down the road. That means like within a week, maybe two weeks. You need to talk to somebody about your medications if your OB provider can't uh, advise you on that. But the answer is not to stop everything, right? No, please don't. Please don't. Because (laughs) I'm thinking about about a few clients that I've worked with um, that did come, you know, become pregnant after being on medications. And that was the idea that they had. And and they had some significant um, depressive Yes. episodes yes. and it's like no when we think about some of the hormonal changes that mm-hmm. go th- that women go through so it actually became it was really nice their their, their OBs were very very collaborative um, yeah. and, and and worked with me as a team and I could let them know yes. this is this is what I'm seeing this is where she's mm-hmm. at or they are at with their depressive episodes mm-hmm. um, and and we kind of well, I defer, obviously deferred to the, doc, the medical doctor to make that decision, but yes. it was, it was, they, they really took my, 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 my mm. observations into account as well, because I saw this person. Before, and that's, so. that's another red flag too. Yeah. If, if yeah. your provider's not willing to talk to your mental health uh, mm. professional that you are mm-hmm. your psychologist or psychiatrist, whoever's helping to manage your meds. Yeah. I've called mm-hmm. many, many docs mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. talk about it. I'm yeah. not above that. And I have, right. to, and you got to make time to do that. They should be willing to do that as well. Yes, there, it definitely. has to be collaborative. Okay. Yes. Um, what was the, and the other thing point I want to make is, you know, in pregnancy in general, and even when trying to conceive your mental health and well being, if it's not controlled and you take, come off those, it can, it can be just as dangerous to a pregnancy exactly as if you're on medications. So, exactly. you know, I mean, not, I don't mean to say you, you, ha- it's not the lesser of two evils. It's not, no. we have medications that people, we have many medications that be given in pregnancy and while trying to conceive. Um, and that are safe and effective, but you have to be healthy. 
Exactly. Um, we wouldn't tell you to stop your diabetes meds, your chronic right. hypertension meds. So why would we tell you to stop your anxiety, depression, or anything else meds? Right. Exactly. The stigma has to stop. The stigma it has does. to stop. It needs to stop. Um, yeah, so this is just a comment about different things work for different people. And, and yep. you can comment us on, too, on this, too. You might find when you're starting this journey, and listen, it's not an easy step to take. It's not. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I want to say here, it's not a weakness that you're seeking out help from people yep. like Dr. Lori or anybody else. It's not a weakness. It just means you're taking care of yourself. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't find it a weakness if you're going to your endocrinologist or whoever. It's not a weakness going to someone that's going to help your mental health. So you might also find what you get in there that that modality or that especially might not work and you might need to try a few things right exactly. Exactly. so try different things so what are your thoughts on that until you find the shoe that fits right absolutely just like yeah. I mean, you know just like there's so many different kind of therapy coaching programs excuse me yeah. um, fertility coaching programs out there and therapists or what have you mm -hmm. there's it's not one size fits all yeah um and you know so it's it's really also identifying what do you need more of in your journey do you need more emotional support do you need more support around you know nutrition you know things like that um because i do see some people who have questions about you know what what should i be eating and it's like, okay, well, that's, that's what they're focusing on right now. So let's make sure you get that nutritional support to help yeah. optimize mm -hmm. your fertility. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and even when you decide that you have to address your mental health issues more in depth, it's like, you know, look at a few people and, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and, and see, you know, just see what the, the, and I always think the relationship is key. That's first yes. and foremost. So, you know, credentials aside, because yes. you can have people who've had, yes. you know, just adequate mm -hmm. training, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and say all the right things, but if it's not the best kind of fit yes. relationally, then, yeah. you know, the, the best interventions aren't going to work. So I think trusting your gut with that too. Yeah. And it's okay mm -hmm. to shop. It's okay to shop around. It's Absolutely. okay to, you know, get second opinions and third opinions and so Absolutely. on. Uh, this is a good comment here. I think sometimes when you when you have your baby, you're a forgotten. I think she's talking mm -hmm. about once you like the comment I made about going through uh, having that take home baby and you still have some trauma related to your mm -hmm. journey getting there. Mm -hmm. And that's true. And I, I went through a little bit of that myself mm -hmm. um, from other people as well as me doing it to myself. Mm -hmm. So that is common. And, it's not, and I don't know that I felt forgotten, but I felt like what my needs were, were maybe not as important anymore. Does that yeah. make sense? It does because, you know, let's face it, so much attention, you know, gets drawn to the baby um, or the mm. babies and yeah. that can make the mom feeling pretty isolated. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What else do we have? Well, you're getting a lot of glowing remarks, Dr. Johnson. <laughs> oh, oh, thank you, guys. Thank you. And so here's a go. So the support groups might provide immediate instant relief, but not address the underlying source of trauma. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, let me know that we are praying. So, yeah. So this is a, a good comment. So uh, how do we tell someone, how do we announce that we are pregnant to people who are going through infertility? Uh, do you have a recommendation on that? Like if, if you have a friend that's going through infertility, but you're, you become pregnant, what do you do? That's such a great question because I've been on the receiving end of that yeah. for, yeah, for, for several years. Um, yeah. And so first of all, congratulations on your pregnancy, um, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and I think it's, it really depends on who you're telling and, um, and knowing that person. So if you know the person's been struggling for a while, um, 
you know, what I might do, and I think what's been a little bit safer for people actually has been emailing or texting. And I know that that might not feel very personal. Um, And being a Southern gal where it's like, you know, we like communication and, you know, um, this is one of those exceptions where I think writing a lovely note um, Mm -hmm. is, is, is just a nice way to, to share that information. And that way, what happens is the person who's been struggling gets a chance to 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 process uh, process it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I think the hardest thing, and again, it's knowing your person. I just didn't appreciate being surprised with a baby bump at five months when we had been part of, you know, this, this journey. I just felt like, oh my gosh, you know, like nobody to, and, and and I was so happy for her, but immediately I was still like really sad. And and, and so I had that initial reaction where I couldn't stop crying. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so, you know, yeah, so I, know. I think just allowing that person, you know, that space mm-hmm. and, and also knowing that they don't love you any less, yes. <laughs> you know, yeah. they're not, not going to be supporting you because of that or what have you, but, um, you know, just allowing them some privacy around that so mm-hmm. that they can be, be more present. I think for me, I had two really close friends that got pregnant when I, I mean, other people got, were pregnant, obviously I deliver babies, but mm-hmm. as far as like close friends that get, got pregnant while I was going through my journey or uh, my free infertility. And one of them called me and said, I just want you to know that I'm pregnant. Uh, I didn't see it on Facebook. I didn't have to hear about it on social media anywhere. She mm-hmm. goes, I, I can tell you as much you, you want to know or as little. Just tell me what you need. And mm-hmm. I, I respect it. She did call me, and that was okay with me. But I respected that because, um, you know, I, I didn't really know what I needed. But mm-hmm. she was willing to, to let me lead the way mm-hmm. and not feel any type of way about it. But I also learned in my process, too, is that, Sometimes they, our friends don't know what to do and they feel like it's a no-win situation and they're like, well, she might get mad if I call, she might get mad if I text, she might get mad if I do. And Mm -hmm. we have to understand that about them too. Exactly. And if they're really good friends, uh, they're going to do their best to try to make it, but we can't, um, we can't hold them to, uh, to such a high standard because it's not easy, right? It's not not easy. It's, it's it's not easy delivering the news. It's not, you know, so I I think I I just feel like let's just have some grace all the way around. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because it's just, it's hard. It's hard to tell. It's hard to be on the receiving end. Um, you know, so, so that's why I said, just know your, know your, know know your person who you you want to tell. Um, and, um, and then also try to honor what you might need too. Um, yeah, in, in yeah. that so yeah 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 mm-hmm. and it's okay I think okay. uh communication is key if you just can't do it mm-hmm. just tell them that and they're a good friend to you they're going to understand yes yeah. mm-hmm. and your friendships can survive mm-hmm. um yeah you know yeah. I, I think this is just where I think like history and foundation and you know all of that kind of plays into to that but you know there might need to be a little bit of space just to, for processing mm-hmm. but you know that space allows people to to re-engage so yeah, yeah. um yeah, yeah. And it's tough. It's, it's not easy. It's, it's, there's no, I, people ask me that question. I'm sure they ask you all the time too. And mm-hmm. I, I wish I had a perfectly scripted, this is exactly what you need to do. And it's going to work every time. Right. It's not, I mean, it's not, not... going to work. No, I mean, I said, you know what? I love you. This is really yeah. hard for me. Yeah. Um, I, I just want to make sure that, you know, before, yeah. you know, we yeah. announce it, you know, this is what's happening. Mm-hmm. I know you might have some feelings about that. I want to give you some time to, to, to yeah. express that. Um, you know, yeah. I'm here. Yeah. Kind of thing. yeah. 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 So. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this one last question and then we'll, ooh, and then we'll be done. Okay. Uh, Cause it's going to shut off. So how can you deal with the ups and downs of infertility, keeping hope, but also not getting your hopes up because the disappointment is so hard. So yeah, I think yeah. it's a fine line. Like mm-hmm. you want to be hopeful, mm-hmm. but you don't want to be too hopeful. Right. And we don't know what makes me oh, too hopeful because I don't want to, I don't want to get up here and then crash when it doesn't turn out. 
Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that's, that's another thing that it's, it's hard to advise on, right? It really is because hope is what keeps us going, yeah. you know, keeps us going through this process too. I feel like, so I think you have to honor whatever it is that you do, you know, like some people are able to temper that as much as possible. But um, the reality is, is I think it's hard not to get your hopes up, you mm -hmm. know, um, but I think it's staying focused on everything that you've done within your power, you know, mm -hmm. and having a sense of resolution about that. Mm -hmm. um, so I think when people find a sense of power and like knowing, you know what, I've meditated all I can do. I've journaled. Yeah. I've, I've done all of the things within my power of control. You know, this is, it's going to be what it's going to be. Yeah. Um, that, that sense, that space tends to lend itself a little bit more to, uh, you know, kind of riding that, that wave, but it's still mm. going to be a wave. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it is a wave. It's always mm -hmm. going to be that. There's always going to be ups and downs. You can't not have them. Right. Going with infertility and the aftermath of infertility. Mm -hmm. It's, it's always going to be ups and downs. You're always going to think I, I could have done more or exactly. I didn't do this or you read about something new. I think the important thing is what I say when you're going through infertility journey, especially when you're going through infertility treatments, mm -hmm. you need to have a good relationship with your fertility physician For sure. because you have to trust what they're telling you. Mm -hmm. If you don't and you feel yourself going to social media or friends or, and you're thinking, well, why aren't, I, why aren't they doing this for my, for my treatments? And that, then that's just going to make it even worse for you. And you know you what? Know, you really I'm have so to glad. Yes. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I, and, and that's actually one of the reasons, that's one of the questions I ask during a consult too, yeah. is what is your relationship like with your doctor? Yes. Because if you're asking for coaching in particular, but you don't really like your doctor or feel mm -hmm. like you're in, that actually is going to, I think, impact the, the, yes. the, the work that we do too. Absolutely, yeah. And, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes mm -hmm. people don't want to hear that, but it's true. Yeah, yeah. So. You got you got to trust them first and foremost mm -hmm. and, and know what that whatever they're telling you to do, you, 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 you trust. Yeah. Because if you are seeking stuff and then I hear this on my should I be doing this? And this person's doctor do this. You can't do that to yourself. You, yeah. It starts with you and that physician and what they're prescribing for you and what their treatment plan is. And you have to trust that if you find yourself that you're not, then that might not be the person for you. Exactly. And you, and you need to find someone else because that's going to not only impair the outcome, it's going to make your journey a lot more difficult, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Definitely yeah. makes your emotional journey harder. Right. It does. Okay. So this is going to shut us off here in a second. Can you tell okay. people how to find you? Yes. So I am um, on Instagram mainly at Dr. Lori Johnson and that's D-R-L-O-R-E-E and -E Johnson, common spelling. Um, I also, you can reach me through my website at drlorijohnson.com. And I'll put the, all of her information in the caption of this video so uh, you can access it there. But thank you so much. This is really helpful. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you so much. I, I have been looking forward to talking to you. I think our first one I canceled because of something with work. And then I was scared of that. The yeah. and I was like, no, but we got through it. So all, we got through it. Yay. <laughs> have a wonderful day. We'll talk thank soon. Thank you. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed that discussion. Now listen to the next episode on obstetrical lacerations during labor and delivery with me.